Matthew chapter 9 this evening, Matthew chapter 9, I am glad that you are here uh, at church tonight, uh, and uh, I, I'm going to call this out and I'm going to say it tonight. Sometimes as independent Baptists, Bible-believing, fundamentalist, King James-only people, sometimes there is a tendency to think that uh, everything that happens in a church house is about the men, Okay. Now, God has given men a special place in this world. God's given men a special place in the family. is different than the place of the mother. God's given a special place in the church. is different than the place of the ladies. God made it very clear in his word that the ladies are not to do the teaching and preaching. That's what God said. Now, I know that there are people nowadays who would say otherwise. That's just because they don't agree with what God said. It's, it's not a complicated issue when you just believe what the Bible says. But, I, you know, God honors uh, faithful women all throughout the Bible. Is that a true saying? So I'm going to call a couple out tonight. Not to shame them or embarrass them, but to understand that they are an important part of the church. They are motivating. They are encouraging. And I would say young ladies, young men, don't just look to the quote-unquote men of the church as examples of what Christians should be. There are ladies here of what Christians, examples of what Christians should be. Uh, and I'll call out two tonight, and it is a blessing every time I see Mrs. Sherry in church. Because she's not feeling as well as some of you are. She's battling a battle that they call cancer. And most people would say, oh, it'll be easier just to stay home tonight. But she's here. That's faithfulness. I'll give you another example. Uh, Mrs. Williamson today, they went and had the funeral for her mother, and her mother was buried this afternoon. But she's here in church tonight. That's faithfulness. And what this world needs more of is more young people who will realize the value and importance of things like that. Let's get into the preaching. Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36. Let's stand as we read these last three verses in this chapter. Matthew chapter 9, the last three verses, verses 36 through 38. But when he saw the multitudes... He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this evening for the word of God, Lord. I pray that you bless the time that we hear now. Lord, may the preaching tonight, uh, Lord, may it truly not just be uh, something that I put together, but Lord, may it be something that you put together. May it be anointed with your power and blessing to help your people here this evening. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated now. May the Lord bless that reading from his word. Uh, I love preaching. Uh, I love not just doing the preaching, but I love also hearing the preaching. Uh, many times uh, I roll out of bed fairly early in the morning. Um, I, I, my normal morning routine is uh, the alarm goes off at 5 a.m. I do not love my alarm. I do not like getting up at 5 a.m. You say, why do you do it then? Uh, because that's what needs to be done in order to get everything done that i got to get done. And my morning starts um, with... 
coffee. Yeah. First of all, now, I, I, I'm fairly fanatical about my coffee. First of all, uh, it doesn't start with, you know, just getting the drip machine ready and everything like that. No, first of all, it starts with taking the coffee beans out, and the beans are still beans. They haven't been ground up yet, and I put them into, some of you might have, an, anyone here have an electronic bean grinder? <laughs> Grind those beans, we've got two of you, la two lazy people over there. I'm just joking, I'm just joking. It's still better because they're fresher when they're ground up fresh, right? And the coffee tastes better that way. Well, I haven't gone uh, down the path of uh, electronic grinding. I put them into this little thing and I grind them out by hand. You say, why? Why not get one of those electric things? It wakes me up. It also makes a lot of noise and I think it drives everyone in my house crazy. They can hear it from all over my house, me grinding coffee beans at five minutes past five in the morning. And I get that going and I get my coffee going and I uh, get my breakfast organized. And I've got to tell you, and I get all of my vitamins and my minerals and things like that that I'm going to have along with my breakfast. Um, and eventually I'm going to get out the door and go for a run in the morning. Uh, but before all of that comes coffee and breakfast. And I'm a little bit slow doing it. It takes me a while to get through it. And, uh, and sometime after coffee and before my run comes another important part of my morning ritual. We'll leave that alone. But uh, during these times, you say, what do I do at 5 o'clock in the morning? I have my little iPad out, uh, and I'm usually on YouTube, and I quite often watch and listen to preaching. I I'm drinking my coffee, I'm having my yogurt, I'm having my vitamins, and, and I'm listening to preaching. People are dying laughing back there. About my, it's probably, I'm guessing they're not laughing about me eating the breakfast. It's the bit of between that and the morning run. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> hey, look, at least you're enjoying coming to church tonight, right? Um, but I, I love preaching, uh, both hearing preaching and also being the preacher. Uh, and uh, there are to certain topics, there are certain things in the Bible, there are certain things about the Bible that are popular with me that I enjoy preaching about. But what should be every preacher's favorite thing to preach about? Salvation, good. Where does it come from? It comes from Jesus. And so the favorite thing that we should ever really want to preach about is preach about Jesus. Now, normally on Sunday nights at the moment, and I, I lose track of almost everything, but I think normally on Sunday nights, isn't this when we're doing the First Timothy series? Must be, must be, because Wednesday nights is the Proverbs. So, yeah, we normally do in the First Timothy series, and some people were worried that Pastor Mitchell skipped out of town because there was that controversial passage coming up and he was just going to dump that on me. No, he, he didn't do that. And I asked him, I said, do you want me to preach a particular text? And he said, no, sky's the limit, knock yourself out, preach on whatever you want to preach about. And um, when he said that, I said, well, I want to preach about Jesus. And then I thought, well, what do I preach about Jesus? There's a lot you can say about Jesus, isn't there? And so what I'm going to preach to you about tonight uh, is some passages in the Bible that have uh, this, these two phrases in common. Either the phrase will be, when he saw, talking about Jesus, or the, or the verse might actually say, uh, when Jesus saw. So that's what I'm preaching to you about tonight. When Jesus saw, what he saw, and how he reacted to what he saw. You'll notice straight away here in this passage, it says, when he saw, what was, what was the object that he saw? What thing did he see? He saw the multitudes, and what did Jesus do? 
he was moved. Okay? Every time Jesus sees something, you see, they talk about cause and effect. Okay? And when Jesus would see things, it would cause things to happen. And the very first thing, the reason why I start with this passage tonight is if, you, if I said, if I had a survey tonight and said, what's a famous passage of the Bible you can think about that says when Jesus saw, most people would say, oh, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. That's probably the one that would come to mind first for most people. But I want you to also understand the first prominent thing that happens tonight is that when Jesus sees things, it moves him. It moves him. And I honestly believe one of the problems that we have in Christianity today, in the world today, is that we have a lot of Christians that don't want to see anything because they don't want to be moved. They're perfectly happy sitting on their blessed assurance, as it were, and they're happy come to church and do this and do that and go about my daily routine and do everything the normal way that I want to do it, but God don't ask me to change anything, go anywhere else or do anything out of the ordinary. I don't want to be moved. And yet God does want you to be moved. You know, vision produces accountability. Remember back when September 11 first happened and we had the Twin Towers and we had the Pentagon attack and we had the plane that was crashed down out in the field uh, and then not long after that we had the what came next in terms of terrorism after that? In the form of envelopes. Remember the anthrax scares? And around that time, it was very popular, two sayings that the governments, and it wasn't just the government of the United States, the government in Australia was saying the same things. Be alert, but not alarmed. If you see something, say something. Vision produces accountability. So people say, well, I don't want to be accountable to God for anything, so I'll just put my head in the sand. That's not a very good tactic. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about the ostrich using that tactic in the book of Job. How many of you read in the book of Job where it talks about the ostrich goes and sticks his head in the sand? And you know what God says about that? God says the ostrich does that because God has deprived her of wisdom. You want to bury your head in the sand tonight, Christian, and God's saying you're as dumb as an ostrich. You are burying your head in the sand because you're deprived of wisdom. You say, well, I just don't want to be accountable for things. If you go and read, and we're not going to take the time to read it tonight, but if you go and read 2 Peter chapter 3, you'll find that people who are willingly ignorant, God holds them accountable regardless. So we're accountable, so we'd better have some vision. And when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Do you know what compassion does? According to the book of Jude, verses 22 and verse 23, it makes a difference and it saves some. Some people could get saved just because you have compassion towards them. But if you don't have compassion towards them, they're not going to be saved. You won't win everyone with compassion. That's why Jude says, some having compassion making a difference. You'll save some with compassion, but it's better than the zero that you'll save with a hard heart. 
And we need to have compassion tonight towards the lost. The second thing it, it did about Jesus, it moved him with compassion. Then secondly, it moved him to share his vision. When Jesus saw it, what does he do next? In verse 37, it says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And he had 12 disciples in those days. And based on what we know of his disciples, his disciples, they're, quite, they're, they're a group of characters, aren't they, the 12 of them? When Jesus said the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few, I'm sure all 12 of them, we're all looking around at each other going, he's absolutely right. It's about time some of you guys did something. <laughs> Isn't that how they were? Lord, this is a great idea. Someone needs to start this. But he wasn't looking for them to look for someone else. He was looking to them to be the answer. And he tried to share his vision. Do you know what I found all throughout my life? I found that people that have vision, people that have conviction, they make Christians that don't want to have conviction or vision, they make them feel real nervous and uncomfortable. They don't want to be around those kinds of people. They make you feel a little awkward. They make you feel a little bit like you're not doing what you should be doing, probably because you're not doing what you should be doing. But Jesus was moved to share his vision. And then thirdly, he said in verse 38, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. He was moved to prayer. When you look around you tonight, when you look at the state of America, does it move you to despair or does it move you to prayer? It's going to move you one way or another and a lot of people have been moved towards despair instead of prayer. But that's not what Jesus did when he saw the multitudes. Now I'd like you to turn next to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to start reading at verse number 7. But when he saw, there it is again, right? When he saw. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of spiritual people, I am so glad that thou art come to my baptism today. That's not what he said, did he? He said, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. And it goes on from there. And to save time, we won't read the whole passage there. But can I tell you something? When Jesus saw snakes, he called them snakes. We got a lot of Christians today. They just don't want to offend anyone anymore. Snakes need to be called snakes. Lions need to be called lions. Wolves need to be called wolves. We don't need to look at the snakes and say, well, what they really are is they're just, they're just lizards that haven't grown legs just yet. That's not what they are. They're snakes. And they need to be called as such. Now, Jesus, you might say, well, Jesus' words there, they were very condemning words. Not really. Because if you read John chapter 3, Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. You're condemned already. He's not condemning them as snakes because they're snakes. They were snakes before he ever called them out for it. I want you to understand, though, that Jesus doesn't look at a person like that and say, well, they're a snake. They're just going to hell. He didn't do that. He gave them a chance. Look at verse 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits meat for 
repentance. He called them to repentance. Verse number 12, he said, whose fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You know what Jesus did to those people? He didn't just say, you're a snake and you're on your way to hell. He didn't do that. He said, you're a snake and you'd better bring forth some fruit meat for repentance because if you don't, then you will go to hell. Don't just tell a person they're going to hell without telling them the way out. That's not right at all. Uh, that's not what they need to hear. They need to hear there's a way out. You know, they might be a snake, but they can be born again. They can become a lamb. They can become one of God's little lambs, right? And we just need to be straight, and we need to be true, and we need to be honest and not hide around things. You know, the problem is when you call snakes, when you call them lizards that haven't grown legs yet, and you let snakes get into your church, and you let snakes stay in your church, eventually those snakes cause all kinds of harm in your church. You're better off just preaching to them, and if they don't like the preaching, then they tend to, they tend to leave. I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 9 now. Matthew chapter 9, we've been there already, but this time we're earlier in the chapter, verse 18. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 18. Um, While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, uh, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman, which was diseased with an issue of blood, twelve years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment, for she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be made whole. But Jesus turned him about, and here's that phrase, And when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Jesus saw this sick woman's faith. It's important for you, first of all, tonight to understand that Jesus sees you. Okay, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He sees you tonight. And he can see straight in through your eyes, down through your skull, straight into your heart. And he can see your spirit as well. And he knows the very thoughts, not just the thoughts, but the Bible says the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And in your heart tonight, Jesus either sees a heart of belief that trusts him, or he sees a heart of unbelief that doubts him. And this woman was made whole because Jesus saw her. He saw her, and he said when he saw her, he said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. He either sees your faith or your unbelief tonight. Maybe the reason why things aren't changing in a better direction in your life tonight, and I'm, no, I'm not being one of these power of positive thinking type preachers in saying this, but the reason why some people go round and round in circles and things never get better is simply because they're not trusting the Lord that they're going to get better. And he wants to work in a heart of belief. The Bible says in Matthew 13 verse 58, it says he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. John 11 verse 40, Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. 
I wonder what blessings, I wonder what revival we are holding God back from that he wanted to do. Now, the Calvinists can't understand that, and I get that, because they're too busy listening to a man rather than listening to the words of God. Okay? But God's will can be resisted. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Jesus said, hey, Jerusalem, I wanted to do something with you and you wouldn't let me. I wonder tonight if God wants to do something in you, with you and through you, but your heart of unbelief is preventing it from happening. Worldwide, the faith of the saints is wavering tonight and that is an indictment on us, not on his ability to do mighty works. Oh, we blame the condition of the world. We say that God's not working today. Look, the reason why God's not working has got absolutely nothing to do with which one's red and which one's blue in a white building in Washington, D.C. It's got nothing to do with that. It's got a whole lot more to do with what's happening in the hearts of people that are called believers but don't act like they're believers at all. And Jesus sees it. And when Jesus sees true faith, he's moved to reward that faith. Let's turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse 13. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. But when Jesus saw... There's that phrase again, when Jesus saw. When Jesus saw, he was, the Bible doesn't say he was displeased. He was much displeased. Now, you've got to be careful about Jesus when Jesus gets much displeased. He has a tendency to start up, uplifting the furniture and things like that, right? Jesus goes into the temple and he's like, oh, you snakes are at it again, trying to make money out of the house of God. This is disgusting. Hey, try this with your money. Whee! He flips the tables over and like, oh, Jesus has got his mat on again, right? Oh, boy, people don't realize God is angry with the wicked every day. And he looked at his own disciples and he was much displeased. And he said unto them, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands upon them and blessed them. Now you might say, oh, he's going to preach about how Jesus sees the little children. And that's true. I'm going to actually preach the other side of that equation. Jesus sees Christians with bad attitudes. He does. His disciples had a bad attitude here. Uh, and God help us, the truth is that there's a lot of independent Baptist King James Bible believing Christians tonight that not only have a bad attitude, some of them wear it as a badge of honor. Yes, sir. And if you've got a bad attitude about things tonight, you should not be wearing it as a badge of honor. It's a mark of shame is what it is. We need to start seeing things the way that Jesus sees them. The disciples thought that there were bigger issues to deal with than the young ones. But I want to remind you that there's every good chance that some of those young ones that he took up into his arms and sat them on his lap there that day. Think about how long the history of the book of Acts is. There's every good chance that some of those youngsters who are sitting on his lap there 
in Mark chapter 9 and 10 are the same youngsters carrying the message of the gospel before Acts chapter 28. We need to understand that there is not a whole lot more important than helping a next generation learn to serve the Lord in a very dark and difficult world. If you have an inflated opinion of yourself tonight, guess who sees it? If you're looking down on anyone or anything that Jesus thinks is important, guess who sees it? When Jesus saw it, he was much displeased. Turn to John chapter 5 and we're almost finished this evening. Probably only another hour. John chapter 5. In this passage we have a man who's Uh, An impotent man. He is a man without power. That is to say, he can't walk. And we'll take it up in verse number 5. It says, A certain man was there, that's at the pool of Bethesda, a certain man was there which had an infirmity 38 years. How many of you think that's a long time to have not been able to walk? That's a horrible long time to be in that condition. And it says, but when Jesus saw him. Thank God that Jesus saw him, right? After 38 long years, finally Jesus saw him. He's probably been wondering for 38 years. Does God even see what's happening in my life? And after 38 years... God manifest in the flesh saw exactly what was happening in his life. When Jesus saw him lie, and then it says, watch this, and knew that he'd now, he had been now a long time in that case. He said unto him, wilt thou be made whole? Jesus looked at him and he didn't just say, he's a man that can't walk. Jesus looked at him and said, he's been that way for a long time. You ever seen someone that, has been incapacitated for a long time, their muscles wither away. And Jesus could see, presumably, that man's legs and say, this man isn't a man that's become lame just in the last couple of weeks. He's been this way a long time. Now, you might be here tonight, and you know, one of the things about preaching, this is, I said I love preaching, One of the things about preaching is it is God's method of getting God's word to people. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them which believe. Not the preaching of foolishness, but by the foolishness of preaching. You say, why is preaching foolish? Because I stand here tonight, I don't know exactly how many people are here at church tonight, but I sat here while we were... Uh, while the kids' lesson was happening, and I was sitting up there with my guitar, and I was counting how many people are here at church tonight. Uh, And it's not as many as we have some nights, I I get that. Bit of sickness, illness, a few folks out of town, things like that. But we got at least 70 people here tonight. I can't look into the hearts of all of you people and say, I know this one needs this, this one needs that, and this one needs that. But the beauty of preaching is if God gets in it and you preach God's word, I don't have to know the specifics tonight to know that God can minister to you through my words. And I don't know what it is tonight that you might have been afflicted by. I don't know what it is that's been paralyzing you. 
Maybe not physically, because you all walked in here under your own steam. But you understand what I'm saying? Emotionally, people get paralyzed. In their minds on needing to make decisions, people get paralyzed. In their need to go forward in their walk for the Lord, sometimes people get paralyzed. And this man was paralyzed. And I don't know what's paralyzed you and been holding you back and you've been unable to change the circumstances tonight. But here's what I do know. When Jesus saw, things started to change very, very quickly. This man thought for 38 years that he needed someone basically to roll him in the pool. He thought, I need someone to get me down into the water. And Jesus didn't get him down into anything. Jesus said, let's just get straight up and we'll skip the down step. And we'll get to straight up. And when Jesus tonight, if you say, if you have in your heart, this man spoke to Jesus. Jesus said, hey, what do you want? And he said, Lord, I, I just want to be healed. If you could call out to God tonight in whatever your infirmity is, whatever's holding you back, whatever's paralyzing you, say, Lord, I just want to be healed. Things can change real quick. Turn to Luke 22, and this is my last point this evening. Imagine, imagine if, if that man, when Jesus said, what do you want? Imagine if he said, well, I've been here 38 years now. The view's nice. I know all the other cripples around me as well. We chat to each other. I'm, I'm all right. But if you wouldn't mind, you know, get me a hamburger or something, that's not what that man said. He had one shot and he took it. We come to one last person tonight, Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 54. Then took they him, Jesus, and led him and brought him unto the, into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. And when they'd kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him, a little girl, a servant girl at that, Behold him as he sat by the fire. This is big rugged Peter. This is the mighty fisherman. This is the guy who said, Lord, though everyone forsake thee, I won't. I'm ready to. I'm ready to die for you, Jesus. And I got my swords here. And that, that same evening, he, he didn't just prove that he had a sword. He proved that he was willing to swing it, right? Big brave Peter. And a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. He's scared of a little girl. That's an embarrassment. I wonder how many times... How many times in your life that the Spirit of God has talked to you, you need to go and witness to that person. You need to go give a gospel tract to that lady in the store. Oh, I couldn't do that. You're no better than Peter at that point. Verse 58, after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou also art one of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. 
And Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest. Let me pause there for just a second. One of the other Gospels, you know what the other, one of the other Gospels record? That Peter started using curse words to try and throw them off the scent of the trail because he figured that no one associated with Jesus would use curse words. And if I just use curse words, they'll be sure that I wasn't with Jesus. You'd be amazed how low people are willing to stoop to save what they think is their own reputation. And the greatest thing that your reputation ever had is when you were a sinner, it came to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That's the very best thing about you. I don't know why anyone would be ashamed of that. But they said, thou art, a, uh, thou art with him. And when Peter said, man, I know not what thou sayest, verse 60, and immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew and the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. You know what else Jesus saw? He saw Peter denying Jesus. He saw one of the twelve. Now, out of all of the hundreds of followers that he had, he picked twelve to be special. And Peter, of all people, was supposed to be one of the very finest. Out of, out of the hundreds that followed him, he narrowed it down to twelve to be apostles. Out of the twelve that he had as apostles, he had an inner circle of three. And Peter was one of those three. And he goes and denies the Lord here three times. And Jesus turned and looked. How do you think he felt? It says in verse 61, it tells you, Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he'd said unto him before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went on his way and said, oh well, everyone makes mistakes. No, he didn't. He went out and he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Can I tell you here tonight, and this is not me trying to get a reaction out of you, but I am. This isn't me trying to be an emotional manipulator or anything like that. That's not my game. That's not what I'm about. I'm just preaching you the Word of God. You know, the Bible says, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. Is that what the Bible says? Right, so he's here. You can't see him, but he's here. But if you could imagine right now, while I'm pacing back and forth at the pulpit, imagine if Jesus was pacing back and forth on this stage here as well. And tonight, whilst I find it awkward to make eye contact with you, hi Josh, hi Mrs. Haig, hi Beavers back there, I get put off my notes if I'm looking at you. So I find it hard to make eye contact with you while I'm preaching because I'm kind of trying... It's not hard for Jesus to make eye contact with you right now. And the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. And he's here in your presence tonight. And he sees you tonight. And Jesus, the Bible says that his eyes are as flames of fire. And he sees straight in through your eyes. And you know what? He sees straight through the thin veneer of the fancy clothes we all wore to church today. He sees straight through that. It doesn't fool him at all. He sees straight through how well you brushed your teeth, combed your hair, put on your makeup, ladies. He sees through all of that. He sees straight through the false sense of peace and happiness that you can have on your face. And he sees straight through your retinas and down into your soul this evening. And he's got your number 
tonight. And it's time to level up. It's time to level up. We're going to have an invitation in just a minute to give you an opportunity to do business with the Lord. Maybe your spiritual life has been paralyzed and you say, Lord, I just, I want to go forwards and I can't even move. God help me. Maybe that's your problem. Maybe your problem tonight is you've had a bad attitude about something. I don't really know. But I do believe that God's speaking to people and you're going to have a chance to do something about it in a minute. But this verse here, I want to give you some encouragement tonight just before we have that time of invitation. Because verse 61 says that the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Verse 62 says, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Remember where we started tonight? Where did we start tonight? Matthew chapter 9. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Can I ask anyone that feels a little bit like a theologian tonight, what night of the year was this when Jesus looked back at Peter and Peter went out and wept bitterly? We were just talking about it in children's lesson. What night of the year was it? It was Passover. Peter went out and wept bitterly and thought, oh, I'm a failure. I let him down. I let him down three times. I cursed on purpose to try and fool people. I was scared of a girl. I'm never going to be anything. And I believe that when he went out and wept bitterly, the Bible says that the next, uh, as Jesus was being crucified the following morning, that John was there. And I got a funny feeling Peter may have been way off in the distance as well, watching Jesus get crucified. And he's thinking, oh, I, I, I've blown it. I have messed up. I, I'm never going to be anything ever again. Seven weeks and one day later, Seven weeks and one day later, that man is the man who gets up on the day of Pentecost and preaches with great boldness about the Jesus Christ. And he said, you've killed him, you crucified him, but it's okay because God raised him from the dead. And if you just trust him, he can save you. And that day, what happened? 3,000 people got saved. You say, through whose preaching? The man that failed. You say, what am I telling you tonight? I'm telling you that God can look down into you this evening and he can make you feel like a failure. But he can turn your life around very, very quickly. But if you bury your head in the sand and turn your face away from him and say, not me, Lord, not me, Lord, I don't want to be changed, I don't want to be moved, then you'll stay where you are. But if you'll be honest with him tonight, and I'll ask the musician at this time to come, you'll have an opportunity here tonight and say, Lord, I can see you, I can feel your eyes staring right down into my soul tonight. And I've let you down and I've failed you in so many ways. But Lord, if you can do anything to help me, I sure would appreciate it.